And so I've asked our, uh, our well-known favorite speaker to come up here, Gavin Ahern. He's a professor at Xavier College Preparatory in Phoenix. And to help just kind of set the stage for who is the human person uh, to get us going this semester. So please help me welcome Gavin. There's your microphones. Mm -hmm. You can adjust it. So, story. So let's say a guy named Roger is attracted to a woman named Diane, and he asks her out to a movie. She accepts, and they have a pretty good time. A few nights later, he asked her out to dinner, and again, they enjoy themselves. They continue to see each other regularly, and for a while, neither one of them is seeing anybody else. And then one evening, when they're driving home, a thought occurs to Diane, and without really thinking, she says it aloud. Do you realize that as of tonight, we've been seeing each other for exactly six months? And then there's a silence in the car. <laughs> <laughs> to Diane, it seems like a very loud silence, and she thinks to herself, Gee, I wonder if it bothers him that I said that. Maybe he's been feeling confined by our relationship. Maybe he thinks I'm trying to push him into some kind of obligation that he doesn't want or isn't sure of. And Roger is thinking, gee, six months. is <laughs> thinking. <laughs> but hey, I'm not so sure I want this kind of relationship either. Sometimes I wish I had a little more space. So I'd have time to think about whether I really want us to keep going the way we are, moving steadily toward, I mean, where are we going? Are we just going to keep seeing each other at this level of intimacy? Are we heading toward marriage, toward children, toward a lifetime together? Am I ready for that level of commitment? Do I really even know this person? And Roger is thinking, Finally, he comes up with one that he thinks might work. 
Okay. <laughs> Diana is deeply moved when she touches his hand. <laughs> Do you really feel that way? What way? <laughs> that way about time. Oh, yeah. Diane turns to face him and gazes deeply into his eyes, <laughs> causing him to become very nervous about what she might say next, especially if it's about a horse. At last she speaks. Thank you, Roger. Then he takes her home and she lies on her bed, a conflicted, tortured, tortured soul, and weeps until dawn. Whereas when Roger gets back to his place, he opens a bag of Doritos, turns on the TV, and immediately becomes deeply involved in a rerun of a tennis match between two Czechoslovakians he's never heard of. <laughs> a tiny voice in the far recesses of his mind tells him that something major was going on back there in the car, but he's pretty sure that there's no way he would ever understand what, and so he figures it's better if he doesn't think about it. <laughs> this is also Roger's policy regarding the world hunger. The next day, Diane will call her closest friend, or perhaps two of them, and they'll talk about the situation for six straight hours. In painstaking detail, they will analyze everything she said and everything he said, going over it time and time again, exploring every word, expression, and gesture for nuances of meaning, considering every possible ramification. They will continue to discuss this subject on and off for weeks, maybe months, never reaching any definite conclusion, but never getting bored with it either. Meanwhile, while playing racquetball one day with a mutual friend of his and Diane's, Roger will pause just before serving, frown, and say, Norm, did Diane ever own a horse? <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, so to learn a little bit more about the differences between men and women, I think a helpful way to do this is to think about Aristotle's four causes. So Aristotle explains that everything has four reasons or four causes. The formal cause is what it is in its nature, right? it's, its essence, its identity. Um, the efficient cause is how something came to be over time. The material cause is what it's made of, the matter. And then the final cause is the why of purpose. Right? So with the statue, you can see the formal cause, the sculptor's thinking of the formal cause in his mind. He has the idea of what he wants to create. The material cause would be the big slab of marble. The efficient cause would be him carving it. And then the final cause would be to honor the soldier by displaying it in this public um, arena. So we get this. So the final cause is the why. Now what's interesting is what occurs first of these four? Which, which occurs first in time? Don't let me answer this. Which of one of these would have occurred first? Anyone? Final cause. Good. The final cause would occur first. The reason, right? The purpose. Somebody was like, we should honor the soldier. Well, how should we honor him? How about a pinata? Keep thinking. How about, <laughs> how about a statue? Now that's a good idea. Let's make a statue of him. So first came the final cause, and then the formal cause, the idea, right? And then you would get the slab of marble, and then they bring that idea into reality. Okay. So, which came first? Great question. I'm going to skip it for now. So these are sketches from an artist that you might recognize. He's one of the Human Ninja Turtles. So it's Michelangelo. Right? So this is the creation of Adam. The reason I show these sketches is because which came first? See, we would say, well, those sketches, the rough drafts came first. Right? But actually, wouldn't the last one have come first in Michelangelo's mind? Wouldn't he have already kind of known what he wanted to begin with? And he's kind of working that out over time. Right? It's like if you try to write a paper or even write a, a paragraph or a sentence. You know what you want to say, and it takes a while before you get it just right. So the, 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 you can say the formal cause, the what it is, existed first before it actually occurred in time. The what he wanted to create always was there in Michelangelo's mind, even though these others came first in history. The people could see the rough grass first, but that last one is actually what kind of always existed in Michelangelo's mind, even if it was in a vague way. So I'd say in a similar way, yes, these came first in time chronologically, but if God knew from the beginning that he wanted to create man, didn't he kind of know all along what we were going to look like? Didn't he kind of know all along what he had in mind? Right, so you can say the evolution of the species, you see these different um, appearances of these different species or different ages, but really it's all leading up to that final product, right, which is the human form. So in a sense, we get our, it's not that we get our shape, not that we get our body from, from our ancestors, it's that they get their bodies from us because they're kind of like rough drafts. Right? God knew from the beginning he wanted us to have faces. He knew from the beginning. He wanted us to look upright, right? to be able to be in conversation, not looking down like cows or gazelle at food, but looking upright in conversation and relationship. Right? He knew from the beginning what he wanted to create. And what he wanted to create is really miraculous, we take it for granted. He wanted to create physical persons. He wanted to create something that is a someone. And it's, again, we take this for granted because we're surrounded by someones all the time. Um, and so that's why it's, it's helpful to kind of step back for a minute and think of all the stuff in the world, all the beautiful things we could look at. But nothing is a person. Nothing has a spiritual soul except the human form. So God is not physical. God is pure spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're not, God's not male. Right? We call him Father, Son, Holy Spirit. These are images, right? God is a first person loving the second person, the second person loving the third person, and the third person proceeding from the love of the first and second person, the blessed trinity. And, and God's generosity, God's happy, right? He's happy because of this trinity of persons, because of this communion of love. He's so infinitely happy, he decided to create us not out of any need, but because he was like, this is so good, someone else should experience this. It's like when, when you hear a song for the first time, you want to share it, right? When something's just so good, you want to share it with others. God had the goodness of relationship, the goodness of love, the goodness of this happy family. It's like someone else should experience this. Let's create someone who can. And in this brilliance, he decided to create physical someones, 
right? physical persons. So only man has a rational intellect and free will. Only human beings have a spiritual nature. We have that spiritual nature for the sake of love. Right? A duck can't love, a tuna can't love, a human being can't love because of our spiritual nature. So these are in our nature for that purpose, and we only find our happiness through loving others. But our body itself also reveals the person. Okay, so it's not just that we're, we have a spirit, that's what makes us dignified. Our body reveals that we have a spirit. So both these quotes come from John Paul II. So he says, and I don't know if I have a quote here, but I'm going to do that. The body, in fact, and it alone is capable of making visible what is invisible, the, spirit, the spiritual and the divine, is created to transfer into the visible reality of the world the mystery hidden since time immemorial in God, and thus to be assigned to it. So the human body reveals a person. How so? In infinite ways. But I would say in particular through the face. Right? The human face has more muscles than any other animal. This is why whenever they do like pretty much any cartoon or Pixar movie with animals, they always have to totally mess with their faces and give them muscles and features they don't have. Right? Like clownfish who can smile with big teeth and eyebrows and eyelids. Right? When you see a real clownfish, you're like, that doesn't look like Nemo. <laughs> Why? Because they have to kind of really mess with that, you know, that animal to make them look like a person, right? To make them look like a someone and not just a something. So the human body reveals a someone. The human body reveals that when you see this someone, it's unlike anything else. This is why we, it's weird to look at anything, excuse me, it's not weird to look at anything else, but it is weird to look at a person, right? Like when you stop at a start at a, at a light, a red light, you turn to the side, if there's a dog, fine. If there's a mountain, fine. But if there's a person looking at you, that's a completely different experience. <laughs> right? It's a totally different experience. So, the spousal meaning of the body, the spousal, you know, John Paul talks not just that we're persons, but that we're spouse, that we're male and female persons. He calls this the spousal meaning of the body. The spousal meaning of the body is the capacity of expressing love. The love precisely in which the man-person becomes a gift. By means of this gift, he fulfills the very meaning of his being and existence. So God isn't just personal. God is a communion of loving persons. And so when he created us, he didn't just create individual persons. He created individual persons that were made to love others. And you can see that we are made through love, to love others through our male and femaleness. So again, just to reiterate, the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, through their mutual exchange, the third person proceeds. This is why in the creed we say about the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son. And in a similar way, a man loves a woman, the woman receives the love of the man, reciprocates that love, and through that loving exchange, through that gift of self, of the two persons, a third person proceeds. So God desires each of us to be created in this mutual love of the, of the husband and the father and mother. Now, are we always created in this way? No, of course not. And this in no way changes our dignity. But it is the divine plan that we're created through love, that we're created through this act of love. And this man finds his happiness, and this woman finds her happiness through a gift of self. Because by giving themselves, they find the joy of loving their spouse, and they also find the joy of loving their child. Now, the differences the church calls complementarity and reciprocity. So this is a really important point. Men and women are different, but we shouldn't be afraid of the differences. Why? Because the differences enrich each other. Men and women were made for each other. So complementarity and reciprocity. So there are certain things that men tend to be more interested in and able at, which also tend to be the things that women are not usually as capable at, but at the same time, they don't really care as much about. And vice versa, the things that women really think about a lot and talk about a lot and are good at, Right? Men usually just aren't as interested in I was talking about this today, and I was telling all my students, remember your kindergarten teacher? Remember your first grade teacher? Remember his name? Right? Very rarely is it a, is it a man. Or remember, you know, kindergarten, first day of school, you run, you scrape your knee, you, you wipe out, and who picks you up? The nurse. The nurse comes and picks you up, makes you feel better. Thanks, Nurse Bruce. <laughs> no. And so why is it that, you know, you know, a little kindergarten nurse is usually a woman? Because for one thing, she's more interested in doing that. And men, can they do it? Yes, but usually they're like, I'd rather find something else to do. 
So again, it's not, and as we're gonna see, it's not that one is better than the other, it's that there are differences, and these differences enrich each other. Okay, so it's complementarity and reciprocity. So John Paul exclaims, this complementarity and reciprocity emerges in every context of coexistence. And the unity of the two, I wrote my apostolic letter, Miliar's Dignitatis, the Dignity of Women. Man and, man, man and woman are called from the beginning not just to exist side by side or together, but they're also called to exist usually one for the other. Right? We were made for one another. Right? There's, a, there's a richness that women bring to the society, bring to the culture, bring to whatever, to the classroom. And there's a richness that men bring, and the two complement each other. Okay, so let's talk about what those differences are. So we can see these differences, by the way. So for a long time, people said, oh, well, the only reason we're different is because of culture. It's just a product of culture. If you would just raise someone as a boy, they'd be a boy. If you raise them as a girl, they'd be a boy, a girl. Um, Dr. John Money is the first one who said this, and he did some, some really dangerous stuff in, in the 60s. Um, and we know more and more that's simply not true. And one of the ways we can tell this is not true is because of babies. Okay? Babies aren't exposed to culture. Babies are not the product of the culture, they're babies. Uh, and we can even see this in the womb now. Um, the brand new study, April 2019, MRI scans of, of I think 115 different infants in the womb and they can see baby girls in the womb and baby boys in the womb. Their, their brains are already different. Their brains are already wired differently. And that's not because they're exposed to Disney, right? It's not Disney like, you know, changing their, their attitudes about things. So men and women, in, on average, differ in size, on average in shape, in bone length, in density, in fat distribution, in musculature, in many other ways. Right? This should be obvious to all, but a lot of people deny what's obvious. And I don't know why they deny this. Again, I think it's ultimately they're just afraid of the truth. Uh, Mona Sharon's got this great quote. She says, it's inexplicable why some feminists choose to contest whether men, on average, are physically stronger than women. So they say, no, women, men aren't stronger than women. She, she says it's confusing why they do this, especially when they're trying to prove how smart they are. <laughs> it's so ob it's obvious, on average, that's the case. So, um, this is why we have, gen you know, we have the gender reveal parties, and you don't wait until the baby's been assigned at birth. The, the sex has been revealed before they're even born. So, let's do a little quiz. Oh, I don't want to show you that yet. So, here's the quiz. Ready? True or false? At birth, the female brain is more mature than the male brain. True. According to neuropsychiatrist Luan Brizendine, it's true. A girl has literally a head start <laughs> over members of the opposite sex. And her brain will develop faster than that of a boy by one to two years. This is why, if you remember grade school, usually the girls were a little bit more ready for school and a little bit more mature. True or false? Men have larger skulls than women. True. True or false, men have larger skulls than women. I hear an answer. True. It is true. True or false, men have more brain cells than women. <laughs> larger skulls, more brain cells, true or false? False. <laughs> women have just as many brain cells, but they're packed more tightly into their smaller skulls. And this author says that clears up some of the issues. Women's brain cells have less room to wander off and do stupid things. <laughs> True or false? Women have more neurons than men in the brain centers for language. True. 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 As a result, women are naturally more talkative than men. Women use an average of 20,000 words a day, where men speak an average of 7,000 words. <laughs> <laughs> Another one. True or false, women value man's appearance more than his material resources or social status. False. In a study of 10,000 individuals in 37 countries, women in every culture look more for social and financial independence than visual appeal. 
Okay, true or false, breastfeeding can make a woman absent-minded. True, breastfeeding can extend an intensity of mental fogginess that many women experience after giving birth. I don't know why that one's in there, it has nothing to do with brain. <laughs> <laughs> so men's brains in general, you probably read about this, are compartmentalized. The connections are within each hemisphere. So men generally do, when they're thinking, they're thinking with one part of their brain, while women are thinking with um, both parts of their brain at the same time. Okay, so, and I need to be able to read these notes. So let's go through this. So that's, I mean, that's just what it looks like as far as benefit from this. So the male brain is highly systematized with an ability to compartmentalize and a low ability to multitask. So men are really good at focusing on one thing and forgetting everything else. Okay. So this is a blessing because you can focus and get your work done. But it's a curse because you can forget that you're supposed to be somewhere or you're supposed to call someone or that you have people in your life, right? <laughs> a high ability to control emotions, which is good or bad? Yes, it's good, but sometimes it's bad because somebody might say, you aren't as upset as you're supposed to be right now. <laughs> a, high, um, a, low, a low relational orientation. So men in general aren't thinking about relationships. Um, I was asking my students today, if you see a bunch of dads at the barbecue talking, what are they talking about? Sports, Sports football, cars. If you see a bunch of moms talking, what are they talking about? Yeah. 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 But men do gossip, they're just gossiping about other things, right? Where women are like talking about people and oh, did you see so-and-so? Men are like, did you see the new Mustang? Ridiculous, right? Or Brady, I'm so glad that he lost, right? So they're gossiping, but they're gossiping about cars and sports and they're being just as nasty. It's just not about people they know. Um, so a high project orientation. Men love projects, a high ability to zone out. <laughs> A tendency to act first and think later when faced with stress. An aggressive response to risk and a tendency to compete with other males. All of these are why auto insurance is higher for young men than women. <laughs> the female brain is, is highly empathetic with a low ability to compartmentalize. So, a low, so why is that a good thing, that you, women can't compartmentalize? They can't stop thinking about things. They remember things, which is good, right? They're good at multitasking. Why is it a curse? Stress, anxiety. Women are much, much, much more likely to have anxiety than men. I guarantee you, all, everyone in this room, some of, one of you is still mad at somebody from high school. I'm sorry, ladies. You're still mad at somebody from high school. Correct? Or you're, if you're like a senior here, you're still mad at somebody from freshman year in any Ladies, okay. So they don't forget. Um, a high relational orientation, so women think about relationships. A low project orientation, a low ability to zone out, a tendency to think and feel before acting in response to stress, a cautious response to risk, and a tendency to cooperate with other females. Now that tendency to cooperate doesn't mean they do, it's just that they want to. Women don't like it when they're not getting along. Right, men are like, whatever. <laughs> differences in communications. Okay, so while men's conversations tend to focus on facts, women's conversations tend to emphasize the feelings behind the facts. Men solve problems best by thinking about one issue at a time, usually on their own, but women generally need to talk through problems with someone else to process their thoughts. Men approach situations with a strong desire to make a decision and take action, whereas women sometimes just want to talk about how they feel about those same situations. And so this is something men have to learn. It's like, stop trying to fix your problem and just listen. <laughs> men tend to speak directly and use words literally, sometimes called bluntly, while women tend to speak indirectly, which is annoying. <laughs> and, so, and so this conversation, why didn't you just tell me? And her response, I shouldn't have to. <laughs> Men are motivated by conquest. They tend to define themselves by their work and their accomplishments. Women are motivated by nurture. 
They tend to define themselves by people for whom they care. I think the best proof of this is profile pictures. <laughs> right? Men show themselves in all their glory, holding up the big fish they caught, right? Or like, look at me on my motorcycle or my car, or walking out on my guitar, or my big, my big shoulder pads looking tough. And women are like, look at all the people who love me and who I love, right? Am I correct? So, and this is great, this is how we define ourselves. So, all of these are good news, right? These aren't bad, it's that it's different, right? And that they're, they're gifts. And so, the man sees in the, in the woman's things, things that he doesn't have, and he finds those things attractive. And so, she has her gifts, he has his gifts, and they're both gifts to each other, and they're both gifts to the child. Now, please know, all these things that I'm talking about, these are all secondary qualities. Right? These are things that we notice, they're in general. Does that mean every man is bad at multitasking? No. Does that mean that women are always more emotional? No. But in general, we see these things, right? They're generalities. Why? Because this is the way nature kind of designed men and women for their, for their purpose, right? What really makes us a man, what really makes us a woman, is a woman can be a mother, a man can be a father, right? This is really, and even if, I, let's say I can't be a father anymore, my body was still organized for a father. A woman's body was organized for motherhood, right? So these things are all secondary, but you know they're fun to talk about because we see how they true they are. Okay, so John Paul II though says this isn't just biology, this isn't just neurology, this is this is ontology. This goes to the core of the person that we're not just persons with bodies; we're body persons, right? We're not just persons who happen to have a male body, like you're driving around like that kind of car, like you're driving around that kind of vehicle. Our body expresses our person. So St. Therese is still a woman in heaven. <coughs> right? St. Joseph is still a man in heaven. He doesn't have his body right now, but he is a man. Right? And so our soul is expressed through our body. The body is imperfect, as we know, and so it imperfectly expresses our soul, but this difference isn't simply biological. This difference is also ontological. Okay, and so John Paul points out that this is for the sake of love, because we're not just supposed to love with our mind, we're not just supposed to love with our body, we're supposed to love with our full person, right? And our maleness is a way of loving, our femaleness is a way of loving. We have different gifts so that we can love in different ways. Right, so the strengths of a woman are her gift to the man. The strengths of the man is a gift to the woman. And so this is for the sake of, if you study Love, there's different kinds of love. Eros is one kind of love, the attractive love, right? And so the man sees in the woman her strengths and he finds those beautiful and attractive, right? And so it makes him want to be with her because she's got something he doesn't have, right? She's got skills, she's got talents, she's got this beauty, this charm that he doesn't have. The woman sees in the man something attractive, something that she doesn't have. And so it's for the sake to get us out of ourselves. God did not make us to be independent. God made us to be communal, to be loving. And so we, we find in the other something attractive, but then we also find in ourselves, hey, I've got something I can give to this person. Right, so she's so cute, I really want to be with her. Oh, she eats bugs, I can kill bugs, I can do this, right? <laughs> and so now I realize I've got a power, I've got the strength, and the strength is a gift, right? So we should not be afraid of these strengths and weaknesses. The whole point of them is for the sake of love, to get us out of ourselves, to be, get us to be interested in the other, but also so that we can discover that we can be a gift to the other person, right? The strengths of women are supposed to be a gift to a man, the strengths of man are supposed to be a gift to a woman. And of course, both of them, their strengths are the gift to the child. So what the mother provides for the child is unique, what the father provides for the child is unique. And what single moms do is amazing, right? But what makes it so amazing is they're doing it without the contribution of the father, right? What single dads do is amazing. But what's particularly amazing is that they're doing without the contribution of the mother. Right? So I, in no way I'm trying to put down their work. It's amazing what they do. But men provide something unique. There's something about dad talking to you. There's something about dad giving you a compliment. There's something about dad giving you a warning that's different than mom. Right? There's something about mom holding you that's different than dad. And so even though dads can do what moms do, they can't do them as moms do them. Does that make sense? And, and moms can't do, they can do what dads do, but not as a dad does it. Why? Because our being, it comes from our being. We act from our being. 
So God created us this way on purpose. God said, let us make man in our own image and the likeness of God. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. I want to point out two things. The blessing is twofold here. Male and female is a blessing. We're in the image of God. Male and femaleness, our diversity is a blessing. But then our fertility is a blessing. And this is when everything was perfect. And then what happens? We sin. So then we get the consequence. To the woman, God said, I will greatly multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall be grateful, children. So the first blessing, fertility, is now wounded. Is childbirth evil? No, it's still good, but it's broken. It's wounded. And then he says, yet your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. What is he talking about here? So the first blessing is wounded. Childbirth is wounded. The other blessing is now wounded too. They were this perfect, perfect couple where they looked at each other with nothing but love. Their strengths were always gifts. Now, your strength is not always going to be a gift. It can be a weapon. Right? So this perfect harmony, the diversity, the difference which is good, now those differences will be weapons. So the strength of a man, which is supposed to be a gift to the woman, now he says, hey, I can use the strength to my advantage. Right? When he sees the weakness of the woman, it's supposed to be, oh, I can help her. But now it's, ha-ha, I'm stronger than her. I can take advantage of her. In the same way, the woman sees the, the weakness of the man. She sees how pathetic she, he is, and it's not, oh, he's pathetic, I'll help him. It's, he's an idiot. I can totally mess with him. I can get what I want. Right? And so now our strengths, instead of being a gift, we see them as a weapon. And now instead of weaknesses being a call to love, we see it as an ability to manipulate, ability to dominate. And this isn't just between men and women. This is between human beings, period. Right? If we have physical strength, it's supposed to be a gift. If we have emotional strength, it's supposed to be a gift. If we have intelligence, if we have wealth, whatever it is, all of our strengths are supposed to be gifts. Think about when you think, see a child. You think, oh, I want to help them. Then there are some people out there saying, aha, I can take advantage because they're weak. Right? Or, or elderly. We see them, oh, it's so sad, I want to help them. And some think, haha, that's the person I can rip off. Right? So all of our strengths are always supposed to be gifts, but yet now, because of the fall, unfortunately, very often, we use them as weapons. And so we experience not only the other person as someone we can use, but we also experience our body differently as well. Right? We come to hate our bodies, we come to not appreciate our bodies, we come to think, oh, my body is bad. Right? And so the fall really has screwed things up royally. Right? Is it totally broken? No. The world is still good. Sexuality is still good. Men and women are still good. Complementary charity is still good. But it is wounded. But it's important that we know this truth, because the more that we know about the truth of our nature, the more we can live the way God has called us to live. So, feminism has been a response to this. Feminism is very much a response to what? The brokenness of complementarity. Right? Throughout history, men have dominated women. And feminists resist this, rightly so. They should. Right? Men are not better than women. Men should not be dominating women. And so this is a good thing. And so luckily, especially the first feminists, the first wave of feminism, they pushed for the right to vote because they said, look, all of us are equally human. No one can be more human than another. Men are equally human than women. And women are just as human as men. And second wave feminists did the same thing. They said we're all equal, and they pushed for the rights of um, pay, the rights of equality as far as school and opportunity, and they very much have succeeded in many ways. Not only are there more, you guys know this, there's more women in college than men. There's also a brand new study just came out last week. There are now more women in the workforce than men in the workforce. Right? It's, it's amazing. So, I don't know if that's good or not, but that's the, that's the fact. So, these accomplishments have been good, but there have been problems. And so th there's what's called the new feminism. The new feminism takes what's good from the second wave feminism, the feminism in the 60s and 70s, but they resist some of their fundamental premises. The second wave feminists, in order to combat the inequality of men and women, said men and women are the same. They resist that men and women are different. And so it's understandable why. They see these differences, and those differences have been used to the advantage of men. And so they say, we're not different. Stop saying we're different. Those are lies. The new feminists say, okay, we are different. Let's, let's be honest here. Don't be afraid of saying we're different. We are different. Injustice is not cool, but don't say things that aren't true. We are different. So the new feminists have another attitude. Their attitude is, let's embrace these differences. Let's not try to act like men. 
So the new feminism also is very much pro-life, like the original feminists were pro-life. The second wave feminists were not. They saw abortion as necessary because they thought this is part of achieving our goal of power and our goal of being, being able to work and make more money is abortion. Where the new feminists say, no, this isn't really what we want. And stop speaking for us as if we really want this, because we don't want this. Right? We love children, we love having children. Careers are good, but not if it means sacrificing a child. So the new feminism is specifically pro-life, intentionally pro-life. So this just comes from a mission statement to give you a taste of the new feminism. The mission statement says, I'm gonna move over here. So we, the women of the new feminism movement, come together on this, on this site or page to unite our causes in the following principles. We come together to liberate women, notice, in her naturally designed femininity. Not only from a masculinization, but from the degradation of the sexual object. So they feel that the second wave feminists very much try to, mas try to masculine, masculinize men and women. Excuse me. In other words, men are pigs, will be pigs. Men are good at this, will be good at that. Men are interested in these things, will be interested in these things. In other words, they felt like they're just kind of selling out by copying men and trying to be men, beat men at their own game. The new feminists say we're not interested in all those things. And we're interested in the things that we're interested in. And also the degradation of women as a sexual object. This is another problem with, with the second wave feminists, is they saw sex as casual. Sex is not a big deal. Men treat sex casually, we'll treat sex casually. For most women, that's not really what they want. They don't really want casual sex. They want intimacy. They want commitment. Um, the next one, we believe that women have a unique voice and role in protecting the dignity of the human person and creating a culture that values the life of every person. So women in particular show empathy. Women in particular are compassionate. Men, unfortunately, in particular, have the tend to be, tendency to be more aggressive, to be more violent. Just to give an example, for every one woman in prison, there's 15 women. Excuse me, I said that, there's 15 men in prison. For every one woman who commits murder, 30 to 40 men so men, unfortunately, are willing to do things that most women would not. So the new feminists say, we need to have more of a voice speaking out for what we care about, which is, for one thing, protecting life. Um, by the way, men commit murder, but women watch TV shows about men committing murder. And listen to podcasts about men What's What true crime podcasts? It's like 75% women listeners. And then Dateline NBC, which is like every housewife's favorite um, TV show. Okay, so where was I? Um, a culture that values life of every person, regardless of race, age, gender, physical ability, faith, or any other category invoked to dominate or marginalize. So if you look at most, most occupations that involve caring for other human beings, it's dominated by women. Right? Women are more, much more involved in social work and much more involved in uh, primary education and special education. Actually, veterinary medicine, almost no men get into this. Women just want to help others. They want to help people to feel better, including animals. Um, we reject the imitation of masculine and models of success and domination and acknowledge and affirm the true genius of women in every aspect of society. So this is huge. They're saying, look, for us, success is not necessarily making more money or having a more impressive job, right? Status and conquest, that's a male thing. For us, success is, am I making a difference in the lives of the people that I love? For, them, for us, success is really about nurture and about helping others. It's not so much always about money and power. I mean, for some people, that's true. For most women, that's not really what they're looking for. Uh, we embrace a wide variety of projects that seek to achieve the true equality of incorporation of the feminine throughout society. And we speak to introduce, we seek to introduce a new paradigm of feminism whereby women and the female and the female virtues, empathy, interpersonal relations, emotive capacity, subjectivity, communication, intuition, and personalization are valued and fundamental to the health and sustainability of the human. So one of the, I think, the strongest arguments of the new feminist is, look, if men and women are essentially the same, then what difference does it make whether there's more men in this or if it's all men as far as a business? If we're all the same, who cares? But if men and women are different, then we need to have women's voices because women are gonna bring to the table something that's different. If you have a jury that's all male, who cares if we're all the same? Nobody would say, hey, that jury, there's no redheads. Right? If we're not really different, who cares? But if we are different, that's a better argument to say you need to have the voices of men and women because women bring to the table something unique, something different. If we have a Congress that's all male, who cares? 
Does that make sense? If we're not different, what difference does it make? But if we are different, then it does make a difference, and you need to have women. That doesn't mean you have to have 50-50 on everything, but you need to have the voices of both men and women, especially in decision-making policies and institutions, because they're going to see things differently. They're going to have different voices, different perspectives, different talents, different gifts. I think this is one of the strongest and smartest arguments of the new feminism, that complementarity is an argument for equality. Complementarity is an argument why we need the voices of both men and women, because we're different. Okay, I've got some cute videos here. Can I show them? How much time do we get? Some time? All right, so this, this is, I, I love this video. This is about the, the amazing work that moms do. So one of the problems with, with the new feminism is they saw very much that the work that women do at home is unimportant, and having children is a bad thing, marriage is always bad, right? Almost, by the way, almost none of the second wave feminists, none of the second wave, none of the second wave feminists, the prominent ones, had a successful marriage. And very few of them had children. And so they really talk, and so this was, a, the new feminists say, look, marriage actually is important to us. We like marriage and we like kids. Um, and so this little video talks about the importance that um, stay-at-home moms do.
but because it is gigantic, not because it is minute. Okay, and this is one of the main points of the new feminism, is that look, this work, we act as if this is not important. That's a male bias, right? That's selling out, saying that the work of parenthood, the work of taking care of your children is somehow less important than you know, having a big job or having a corner office. Another one. Get ready for the water bottles.
Say a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Loving God, you who are a communion of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you who created us so that we might experience what it is to receive and to give love, Lord, heal us in the ways in which we've been wounded, where we haven't received love the way you meant us to, so that we have the capacity to love as you made us. Lord, help us to see the beauty of who we are, the goodness. Help us to recognize the beauty of us created male and female, 
And if you are calling us to marriage, we would pray and we lift up that person today, that you would protect them, guide them, and likewise, that you would protect and guide us so that we would understand who we are so that we can love them the best possible. Mother Mary, we entrust our vocations to you, you who teach us how to be a disciple, you who teach us how to love and trust. Pray for us as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.